The following message was recorded Wednesday, November 8, 2023. Pastor Ritt continues our study of the book of Ezekiel. Tonight he covers chapter 33 and talks about who is the watchman. And now, here's Pastor Ritt. Lord, your uh, commission, your command, your mandate uh, for Ezekiel to be a watchman is not for Ezekiel alone. We know there's a personal responsibility that every one of us carry, Lord, to be warning people of, of the dangers that are out there and the dangers that they are entertaining in their own lives spiritually. We don't want to be friends with the world to where we become an offense to you. But Lord, we, we want to be a friend of yours. And at times we will be an offense to the world, to our family, to our friends. But Lord, you've called us to warn them. And Lord, give us the ability, give us the courage, the boldness, give us the love to warn those who are in harm's way not just uh, physical or even emotional, but most importantly, spiritual, Lord. Because that's a true danger, Lord, that we can be so self-deceived in believing that we are in a relationship with you that doesn't exist. And Lord, it's been my observation that many, many fall into that category. So Lord, speak to us tonight. Speak to me personally, Lord, about who I'm to share this word of warning to in love, Lord. Each of us, Lord, we have a circle of friends, of family and friends and neighbors. And, and Lord, help us to be bold in our witness, in our warning to them, Lord. And speak to us now through your word, Lord, because only you can. We ask it in Jesus' holy and precious name. And everyone said... Amen. So here we are in chapter 33, and what we're going to be beginning to see is God's going to be promising a blessing to Israel, even though right now they are being punished, judged, right? Punished. Uh, Ezekiel is where? He's in Babylon. Ezekiel is in Babylon, and he's been prophesying in Babylon. He's been mute for some time. Some believe he's been mute for almost seven years now because Israel would not listen to the warnings that he was giving. What was he saying? What was he prophesying? Yes, the destruction of Judah and Jerusalem. Now, he was a lone voice. He was the only one saying that Israel wasn't going to survive this, right? And Sunday night, I'll share with you my reasons why I believe Israel's not going to survive what's coming. We're going to see the fulfillment of Zechariah 14. But I'll share that on Sunday night. Save it for then. But Ezekiel had been warning them. They refused to heed the warning, and now he was mute. And God's going to open up his mouth once again. But he's going to open up his mouth after what he had prophesied or predicted would come to play had actually taken place. That's what we're going to see. But nonetheless, he called him to warn, to be a watchman. Look at chapter chapter 33, verse 1 of Ezekiel. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, speak to the children of Israel and say to them, when I bring a sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from their territory and make him their watchman. Who's going to be the watchman? Ezekiel, look at verse 7. Verse 7. So you, son of man, I have made you the watchman. Okay, it's Ezekiel. Verse 3, when he sees the sword coming, 
upon the land, and if he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then whoever hears the sound of the trumpet and does not take the warning, if the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. So what is the Lord saying? Well, observation here, observation is God is declaring that there should be people who are watchmen, watchmen upon the wall, as we sang just a moment ago, looking out for danger. And when danger comes, they're to blow the trumpets, to clear out a warning. Danger, danger. And if they do, and no one heeds the warning, and they die in their sin, then what? It's their fault. Their fault. It's not the fault of the watchman. The watchman is doing his job. Who are the watchmen today? Us. Yeah. Not just the pastor. No, 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 no. Every single one of us are called to be a watchman. Now, you need to be more faithful to God and his calling upon your life than you are in fear of people. It's very uncomfortable to warn people when they're in their wickedness. Very uncomfortable to call people out, isn't it? And they may defriend you. They might not invite you to their parties, to their gatherings, to their dinner parties, you know. So be it, okay? But we have a responsibility. If you know someone is living in sin, everybody makes mistakes, don't they? Anybody here not sin? We all make mistakes, don't we? But what we're talking about is a characterization of sin, where your life is characterized by a particular sin. What would some of those sins be? Addiction, could be drugs, could be alcohol, could be even prescription drugs, abuse of prescription drugs. What else? Homosexuality, lesbianism, you know. What else? Pornography. Pornography. What? Alcohol is an addiction. How about, how about adultery? How about fornication? How about stealing? Cheating on your taxes? Gossip. Gossip. Covetousness. Greed. Hmm. Pride. Now, when someone's life is characterized by that behavior and you don't speak out, that's a problem. You condone it. You're as guilty as the person involved, right? Paul tells us that, you know, these people who are characterized by, the, by these sins will not inherit the kingdom of God because they practice them, they're characterized. And those who approve of such, how would you approve of such? But not saying anything. Or you find it entertaining. Do you, do you find horrific, uh, barbaric acts of violence entertaining on the screen? <laughs> Sexual immorality? Anything that we would allow in the lives of people that we know, whether it's our family, our friends, well, and we don't say a word about it, you're complicit. You understand that? That's what God is declaring through the prophet. Now, you, you need to think about that right now. What is it that you may be complicit about? What is it that you're not saying a word about when you know it's going gonna, it's gonna to destine these people to where? To hell. Is that God's will? No. But God has not, God has not God called us to be salt and light in this world? And sometimes that light is just too much for people to bear when they're in the darkness. Sometimes that salt really stings in the wound, doesn't it? Those putrefying wounds of sin. But we have a responsibility to say something. Ezekiel didn't shirk his responsibility. Jeremiah didn't shirk his responsibility. All of the prophets of God were so emboldened by God that they refused not to speak 
and it cost them their lives. Which of the prophets did they not kill? Hmm? Now, they're not going to kill you, are they? Not likely. They might kill your reputation. They may gossip about you. They may say you're a difficult person. You're judgmental. You're legalistic. You're pharisaical. But so be it. But you have to warn them, right? This is, this is the command we're given. Far too often, now listen to me, and it may, it may involve some of you. Far too often, we're more in fear of our family than we are the Lord. We're, we're more in fear of offending our family than we are the Lord. If you're going to offend somebody, who should it be? The Lord or your family? The Lord or your friends? And what kind of friends are they anyway? And what kind of a friend are you if you don't say anything? I've lost a lot of relationships over the years because I knew I had to say something. Most recently, I lost a relationship that was precious to me. I had to say something. I had to. This is what God is saying here through the prophet. Yes, his blood shall be upon his own head. Verse 5, he heard the sound of the trumpet, but did not take the warning. His blood shall be upon himself, but he who takes the warning shall save his life. The sound of the trumpet is what? Your witness. Your voice. You're the trumpet. Is that true or not? Am I just taking too much out of the text? No. No, I'm not. I'm not. You're that trumpet, beloved. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person away from them and he takes away his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Now, there is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So so for our application, how how would we apply this? What, What did this mean for you and I? Are you going to lose your salvation over it? No. no. But what are you going to lose? No crowns. No reward. Yeah, I don't, listen, I don't want to stand before him ashamed. I don't want that to happen that day. I don't want to stand there with my head down. And he's going to say, why didn't you say anything? We're shit. What if, what if some of those people that I know, that I love, that I have an acquaintance with, that they're on their way down, on the down escalator, I'm on my way up on the up escalator, and they look at me and they say, why didn't you say anything? Wouldn't that be frightening? Why didn't you say something? And you knew. Hmm. Now, far too many don't understand the warnings that we have from the Lord in Scripture. That we're to give him our whole heart. You, you can control some of those outward actions where no one even perceives what's taking place, but your heart is not right. That would be the problem, wouldn't it? I was sharing with Gail this afternoon how I'm such a blessed man that I, I trust her completely. You know, I, I, would, I mean, if, if my Gail was standing there talking to some guy, some good-looking guy, and, you know, and he seemed to be a player, I, I would curse him at least. Why? Because I'm, I know I'm, not, I'm not concerned. Gail is faithful. And it would never, ever, ever be in her heart 
to be unfaithful to me. I trust her. I trust her with everything. I trust her with the checkbook. <laughs> Don't I, Gail? Yeah. <laughs> with everything. I trust her with my dog. <laughs> How difficult it must be for those who can't trust their partner, their spouse. Who, who they know, they know their spouse has an adulterous heart. Oh, you may not act upon it right now. Oh, but there may be these little flirtations, you know, these little winks, you know. David and Bathsheba, would that just happen suddenly? No. Just one look and tell it? No, 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 no. You know, I taught you through that whole situation. She was part of the family of Ahithophel. That family was connected to David. That was David's chief counselor. Ahithophel spoke with the oracles of God. Every state event, every gathering that would take place within the royal palace of the royal family within David, Ahithophel and his family would be there. David would see Bathsheba over and over and over again. If she was some looker, yeah. Now, it's not a problem if you take one look and, it, oh, well, that's very attractive, but then you've got to look away, right? You know, those are temptations, they're like birds circling your head, right? And you've got to keep shooing them away, right? It's your problem if they nest in your hair. No offense, Rich. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying. And so we, you know, who, who knew when it took place when she and he both knew that they both looked at each other with that look? You know, you know that look, an adulterous look? That look like I'm available? That look like I want you? Now, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? I mean, you watch movies, don't you? <laughs> it's portrayed all the time as, as, as though it's lovely, it's wonderful, it's beautiful, and there's never any negative consequences as a result of it. It's horrible, isn't it? God is going to be accusing Israel of having that adulterous heart, that eventually they did act upon it. And that's what will happen. We, we have to examine our own hearts and ask ourselves, how, how faithful am I? What, what does, now listen, I, I told Gail once, I've told her a hundred times, haven't I, my dear? I don't care what people think about me, I care about what God knows of me, Right? I don't care what God, what people think about me. I care about what God knows about me, because he knows my heart. That's what's most concerning, right? And I need to be honest with myself. The heart of the matter? The heart. The heart. And, and, and you know and I know when people are moving in that direction. And I've seen it happen so many times over the years where I had to step in and say, listen, listen, I think you're looking at that. I think, you know, you, you, you know that's not, the look that you're giving is not appropriate. On the mission field in Guatemala, this married man, this divorced woman, and all of a sudden, that, you know, and I could see it happening right before my eyes, and I said, look, you, you, this needs to stop. Did it stop? No. No. And he ended up getting divorced, and it's just, I mean, the heartache, the sorrow, the pain, the suffering. But I warned them. I warned them, because I could see it. This is what God is saying here. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Deceitful are the kisses. Yeah. 
So you, son of man, verse 7, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. And, and he did. He was faithful. Jeremiah was faithful, although it caused them great suffering and separation from their own people. They were called traitors. They were imprisoned. They were beaten. But all of their words from the Lord all came true, didn't they? Didn't they? Yeah. When I say to the wicked, O oh, wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will quiet your hand. Nevertheless, if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does turn from his way, he shall die in his, and does not turn from his way, yeah. He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Now, this is not new to them. Go to Leviticus 26 for a minute. He's just rehearsing what God has already declared in the law. Leviticus 26. Leviticus, chapter 26. Everybody there? Verse 40. Talking about those who are in iniquity, those who are in sin, those who are in rebellion to God. Verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies. Now, you walk contrary to God, then pretty soon God walks contrary. You become God's enemy, and God becomes your enemy. Oof. That's pretty severe. You don't, you don't want God as an enemy, but everybody sees God as a Santa Claus. <laughs> contrary to them, and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, my covenant with Isaac, my covenant with Abraham. And I will remember, and I will remember the land. And the land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They're going to suffer the punishment, but he'll bring them back. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Now, this precisely what Ezekiel was talking about as he's in the refugee camps. Remember, Daniel was in the palace, right? But Ezekiel was in the refugee camps there of all of the exiles from Egypt. But he was telling them that what Jeremiah declared was true. The captivity is going to be 70 years. Just settle down, get used to it, but confess your guilt. Confess your guilt, return to the Lord, and ask him to forgive you, and he will. And at the end of the 70 years, he would bring the people back into the land. But he said, he said to the prophet Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you. I know my desire for you, my highest and best. Not for evil, but for good, to give you a hope, to give you a future. I want you to spend the rest of forever with me. But what's required? That you confess your sins. Hamalageo is the Greek word. You, you agree with God that you fall short and that you repent and that you turn back to the Lord. Mm. This is what he's talking about here. 
then the land also will be left empty, and they will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. Then they will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because they, their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away, nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them. But I am the Lord their God. But for their sakes, I will remember the covenant with their ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the many nations that I might be their God, and I am their Lord. And these are my statutes and my judgments and my laws, which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel. Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. So this is not new information for them that Ezekiel is sharing. There's not much new, is there, that we're told as believers, if you've been a believer any length of time at all. It's not a problem of knowing what he wants. What's the problem? Of doing it, of yielding and surrendering back to Ezekiel. Therefore, O son of man, verse 10, say to the house of Israel, thus you say, if, your, if our transgressions and our sins lie upon us, we are pine, and we pine away in them, how can we then live? God's going to give them the answer. Say to them, as I live, says the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn. From your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? In the day you eat thereof, you shall surely Did it happen? Absolutely. How did they die? They died spiritually. Now, the physical death that would eventually come was a manifestation of the spiritual death that had already occurred. Every funeral, when I go to every funeral, it just verifies the word of God, that God's word is true. A hundred out of a hundred? thousand out of a thousand. Unless the Lord comes and takes us out of this, we're, we're all going to die eventually one day. But then it is destined to man once to die. And then how faithful were you? Did, you? did you have an adulterous heart or did you have a faithful heart? It's, listen, it's a wonderful thing. It's a wonderful thing when a man can trust his wife, when a woman can trust her husband. It's a wonderful thing when you have no concern whatsoever. What a fearful thing. I have no idea what it must be like to, to be in fear that your significant, uh, your life, your, your soulmate, your wife would have an adulterous heart, would have eyes for someone else, even though they may not even ever act upon it, but their heart is not completely yours. I, I, can't, I can't imagine what that would be like. But that's what God's talking about. And, and that, listen, that's what he asks you and I to examine. Well, why am I so passionate about this? Because I was the possessor of an adulterous heart. And I know what that's like. And I know how to cover it up. And it's so deceitful. And it can be so hidden. And it can be so kept secret. Oh, but you act upon it in a thousand different ways in your mind. And you're damning yourself. You're condemning yourself. Oh, listen to me. Now listen to me. Wouldn't you have, if, if a person has an adulterous heart, there's only one who can cure that cataract condition. Cardiac, cardiac, yeah, help me out here. Cardiac condition. 
And that's God. And you have to plead with him. And God can take away that adulterous heart. But when a person has an adulterous heart, oh, they can hide it for years. But eventually it'll show itself. I'm sorry, Deb. It's true, isn't it? It's painful. Painful. I know too many of my brothers and sisters who have experienced that pain. And God doesn't want it that way. No, never. He takes no pleasure in what? In the death of the wicked. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter 3, I said. Second Peter, chapter 3. Everybody's there? Okay. Verse 3. Knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts. Is that today? Hmm. And saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water by which the world then existed perished being flooded with water. There was a judgment that came. Nobody believed it. Noah preached for how long? 120 years. Did they listen to him? But he warned them. I feel, you know, my ministry has been like an end times prophet, really. I've been warning people for 43 years of my salvation, for 30 two years as a pastor now, and that just falls on deaf ears. Because we're going to be, we're going to be describing the majority of people who claim to be Christian very, very quickly in, Zechariah, in Ezekiel 33. But here he goes on to say, the scoffers, where's the promise of his coming? Willfully forget. Why? They don't believe the word of God. They don't believe the warning. Doesn't mean anything to them. But the heavens and the earth, which, now, which are now preserved by the same word, are reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, a thousand years is as a day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. What promise? That he's coming back to judge the world. That's what he's talking about. I promise you, I'm going to deal with this. You know, how many times did my wife call me and say, you know what your son did today? <laughs> Suddenly he was my son, you know. And I put him on the phone. And I promise you, son, when I get home, he could have cried out for mercy, grace, and wasn't going to save him. My punishment came upon him. I promise you, son, this is what I'm going to do. Now, I made some wonderful promises to him, too. You know, I promise you, son, I'm going to do this for you, you know. Well, this is a promise from God who cannot lie. He promises. He's going to keep his promise to judge this Christ-rejecting, rebellious world that we're in right now. Yes, he is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish. God's not willing that any should perish. He takes no, no pleasure in the death of the wicked, that all should come to repentance. Now, how do I process all this? God's not willing that any should perish. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. 
What's going to happen to the majority of the people that have ever lived on this planet? They're going to perish. God's not willing. So who's willing? They are. They are. They are. are. Now, now, here's here's the point. We know that none seek after God. No, not one. For all have sinned. All have sinned and fall short. Now, the amazing thing about it and why his grace is so amazing is that he saves anyone. Do you understand that? That's, that's is why you should be amazed. Why do good things happen to any of us such bad people? It, uh, no justification for what happened on October the 7th. It was barbaric. It was hideous. It was a horror. But, but in God's eyes, are those people any worse than those Israelites who refuse to acknowledge Christ as their Messiah? Yeshua HaMashiach. Jesus the Messiah. In his eyes, is there any difference? No. Is the judgment the same? Yeah. Unfortunately, yes. And how many people do we walk by? Do we have contact with every single day who are in that same state? Do you warn them? Do you try to be a witness? Do you share with them? We have that responsibility. Now, we we may not ever see them come to the Lord, but we have a responsibility to plant a seed or to water a seed or to help it grow, Hmm? to bring forth the increase. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with a fervent heat, the big bangs at the end, not at the beginning. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be? In holy conduct, in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? How can, how can we hasten the coming of the day of God? Because we, we don't know, you know, this, this church age, this dispensation of the church age, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, that will ask Gentile says, hallelujah, I'm yours, Lord. Boom. We're out of here. Now, who knows? Who knows but God? You may be the one who's going to witness to that person tomorrow. Hurry up. Yeah, hurry up. <laughs> a hastening of the coming of the Lord is by living a life of holiness and godliness. I'm, I'm going to be sharing more and more as the weeks go on. That, you know, you, 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 listen, you, you, if you're putting your hope in this world and the things of this world, you're going to be sadly disappointed. God's going to tell Israel, eat your gold and your silver. They believed in storing up precious metals, and they did. At that time, in that part of the world, nobody had more precious metals than did Israel. Gold and silver. And God said, okay, now eat your gold and silver. Why? Because your hearts were adulterous. Your hearts were never towards me. And then, and then during the siege, what did they eat? Their own children. They, they ate their own children. The only security in the world is your relationship to him. This world can strip us naked of everything. It can't take away our relationship with him. 
Anybody ever read Viktor Frankl? Man's Search for Meaning? Yeah. What did you get out of that? Out of his understanding? And what is that civility? That civility is how you look at other people. That civility is how you treat someone else. Now, why do you treat them that way? Why do you treat them that way? Yes. He's a theist. He's a Jew who believes in the God of Israel, but it doesn't mean Christ being the Savior. Okay? But he's absolutely right. They can strip, and, and they did. He was a very successful psychiatrist in Austria, when the, in uh, Vienna, I guess it was. And when the Nazis came in, they slaughtered his family. They took him, they took all of his wealth, stripped him naked, shaved his head, shaved his beard. He was left nothing, nothing. But his own personal dignity, humanity, and I would like to suggest it was God in him. They can't, they can't take away Christ in us, the hope of glory, right? So no matter what would happen to us in this life, no matter what would happen, no matter who would do what to you, and it could be the person you sleep with, no matter who would do what to you, if you're drawing close to God, close to Jesus, close to the Holy Spirit, you got nothing to be concerned about, do you? Do you? No, Deb, you don't, no. Because Jesus is our everything. Jesus is our sufficiency in all things, right? Yeah. Yes, looking for and hastening the coming of the day because of the which the heavens will dissolve, being on fire, the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to this new promise, <laughs> the old promise is going to judge the world. The new promise is a new world coming. Look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells forever. And ever and ever. Amen? Amen? Now, is that where your hope lies? I hope so. I, I really do. I hope your, your hope lies in the new promise to come because this world's passing away. God has to allow this to die to bring about a new world. Why did he allow? And we're back in Ezekiel chapter 33. God is allowing the destruction of the land, the destruction of the temple, the dethronement of all the leaders of Israel. The people will be dispersed. Why, why is he doing that? Why is he allowing the total and complete destruction of Israel? What? So they'll know he is the Lord God, but what's he going to do after that? The latter, the latter portions of Ezekiel, what is promised? A rebirth. Israel's going to be born again, born anew. The old has to die for the new to come. How do you apply that personally? My old man has to die. The new man has to surface. Christ in me, right? Being, being a Christian to the fullest capacity I can possibly be is simply allowing Christ to live his life through me. To be born anew. What does uh, Marty Getz always say? He's a Jew born anew. <laughs> yeah. And so what, that's what Ezekiel is promising here. Go back to chapter 33. Yes, God is not willing that they should perish. Yes, he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But they choose to walk away from him. Now, I don't know how it works out. Please don't ask me because I don't have the intellect 
to be able to process the difference, the harmony between his sovereignty and my free will. I don't all I'm I'm just so thankful that I know he chose me. Are you? You speak to someone and they say, well, that's not fair. This is exactly what we're going to, that's not fair. Okay, it's not fair, David, choose Christ. Well, I don't want to choose Christ. Well, then you're damned. He obviously hasn't chosen you, but that's not fair. Okay, we'll choose Christ. So, so whose will is prevailing here? It appears at the moment, right, the individual. But I, I can't process that. I, I don't. I rest in it. Don't wrestle with it, rest in it. And then because knowing that, what manner of persons ought we to be? That's what Peter says, right? What manner of persons ought we to be? Knowing everything we know about what God has done on our behalf. Completely unmerited. You don't deserve it. Yes, live a life of thanksgiving. Thanks living, right? Let the whole world know how thankful you are for what Jesus has done. Not what you've done. You haven't done anything. Hmm? And, and we're going to see that in a minute. They're going to take credit. What they've done. Look. Therefore, O son of man, verse 12, say to the children of your people, <laughs> they're your people now, they're going to become his people in a minute, the righteousness of the righteous shall not deliver him in the day of his transgression. As for the wickedness of the wicked, he shall not fall because of it in the day that he turns from his wickedness, nor shall righteousness be able to live because of his righteousness in the day that he sins. So what's he saying there? Yeah, the, the, the end of the matter is at the very end of the matter. You can't live on your, Lord, you can't live on your past faithfulness or your past history, okay? As far as my relationship with the Lord is concerned, I, I'm only as faithful as I am at this moment. Doesn't matter what I did last year, last week, 10 years ago. I'm only as faithful as I am, dis, I am displaying that faithfulness now, right? So he's saying, when a wicked man turns from his wicked way, He'll be saved. He'll be declared righteous. His faith in God. When a righteous man turns from his righteousness. Have you ever seen that? Have you seen a righteous man turn from the righteousness? That's heartbreaking. When you see a good man or a good woman who is walking with the Lord, who had fellowship with us, and then suddenly they take that left turn, and you ask yourself, what in the world is going on? What are you thinking? What are they thinking? They're not. They're feeling. Feeling. Listen to me. We talk about the adulterous heart. Lust and desire will trump reason every time. You understand? When you excite that fire, right? When you excite that appetite, James talks about that. We'll go to James in a minute. Where does, where does sin first conceive? The heart and the mind, right? The desire. First is the desire, and then you think about that desire. Verse 13, when I say to the righteous that he shall surely live, but he trusts in his own righteousness and commits iniquity, none of his righteous works shall be remembered, but because of his iniquity that he has committed, he shall surely die. Again, when I say to the wicked, you shall surely die if he turns from his sin and does what is lawful and right. If the wicked restores, the pledge gives back what he has stolen and walks in the statutes of the life without committing iniquity. He shall surely live. He shall not die. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I've just done too much? I, you, know, you don't understand what I've done. I don't care what you've done. Look at the Apostle Paul. I believe he's the greatest Christian that's ever lived. And, and extra biblical 
writings of the time, or, yeah, aside from the Bible, indicate that Paul was responsible for 10,000 Christians being martyred or persecuted or put to death. 10,000. He said, I'm the chief of. Yet, look at the grace that came upon him. So that's, that's basically what God is saying through the prophet Ezekiel. Is anyone beyond the grace of God? Anyone? No. no. What's the unpardonable sin? Re resisting the witness, denying the witness of the Holy Spirit with regard to the person of Christ. But once you accept who Christ is, as the Holy Spirit has been, been giving you that revelation, that understanding, then you can be forgiven of any and every sin, can't you? Yeah. The thief on the cross, a perfect example. <laughs> you ever hear Alistair Begg speak about the thief on the cross who went into heaven? He goes up into heaven, and Peter says, what are you doing here? How did you get here? Didn't I just see? He said, I don't know. The man in the middle. The man in the middle, he just, he just told me if I believed in him, I Oh. <laughs> it's hilarious. When you get, but but how, how amazing is his grace that at that moment in time, that scoundrel, that wicked man was saved from all his sin in a moment in time because he believed. That's what he's saying here. None of us merit it. None of us ever will merit it, do we? No. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Verse 20, O house of Israel, I will judge every one of you according to your own ways. What do you mean I'm not fair? It is fair. Did you ever hear the interview with Billy Graham where he says, it doesn't matter if Billy Graham has been faithful to the Lord all the days of his life, he's only one reason why Billy Graham is going to go to heaven. You ever hear him say it? Because, because of his faith in Christ Jesus alone. The work of the cross. That's it. And it's true, isn't it? And is it fair? Is it fair that these workers who come in in the 11th hour get the same wage, the same reward? Yes. Of course it's fair. Yes, it is. Yeah. But only an evil person would say it's not fair. You know, like the, it's like the uh, elder son of the prodigal's brother. Mm -hmm. Verse 21, and it came to pass in the 12th year of our captivity, on the 10th month, on the 5th day of the month, that one who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me in Babylon, and he said to me, the city has been captured. When was this? That's right, Deborah. January the 9th, 585 B.C. It was about six months after the fall of Jerusalem that this guy came to tell him what had taken place. And it validated, affirmed everything that Ezekiel had said was going to happen, and then God allowed him to speak again. He was mute for a long time. Some believe up to possibly seven years. But now he's speaking because everything he said had come true. I'm waiting for some of the predictions I've made to come true. <laughs> so I can be affirmed and validated that it is a rupture. <laughs> Now, the hand of the Lord had been upon me the evening before the man came who had escaped. And he had opened my mouth. And so when he had come to me in the morning, my mouth was open, and I was no longer mute. I, I, I had already said that. Didn't I tell you that, he said? Didn't I, didn't I say that how many years ago? And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, 
They who inhabit the ruins in the land of Israel are saying Abraham was only one, and we inherit the land, but we are many, and the land has been given to us as a possession. So now he's going to address two, God is going to address through Ezekiel two groups of people. The one group that's still in the land, this remnant, and the other group that's in Babylon. The group that's in the land saying, look, Abraham was only one, but we are many, and now we inherit this land. Can you forfeit an inheritance? Do you know anybody who ever wrote anybody out of their will? I do. So you, you can actually forfeit your inheritance by your behavior, by your own actions, can't you? Yeah. That's precisely what God is going to tell them now. And you, you should possess the land. You should inherit the land. He's going to make all these accusations against them that will be proven. Listen. Therefore, say to them, thus says the Lord God, you eat meat with blood. What's the problem with that? Life is in the blood. You're not supposed to eat meat with blood. You're supposed to drain the blood out. Jesus' blood was drained out, wasn't he? Thomas, come here and touch me. See, I am flesh and bone. No more blood. Spirit-driven. Spirit-empowered. No more blood, Right? You eat me with blood. You lift up your eyes towards your idols. Idols. We wouldn't do that, would we? Sure, we do. You know, what are the idols today? Those poor, those poor people in Palestine. They've been used as pawns. Did anybody see the snipers, the, the Hamas snipers, shooting the Palestinian men, women, and children as they were trying to flee south? Anybody see any of that? Raise your hand if you saw that. There's a couple of people. It was horrific. They're shooting their own people who are trying to escape. Men, women, children. And, and, the, and now, now that the Israelis had has encircled Gaza City, they opened up the route, the road. They made the road safe from Gaza City to the south. Thousands are leaving. Butchers. How horrible. Why? Idols. You see those three Hamas leaders that are in Qatar? You see what their net worth is? What's their net worth? One is four billion. Another's four billion. Another's three billion. Listen, this is one of the most impoverished groups of people on the face of the earth, the Palestinians. How did these men become billionaires? What, 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 what goods do they produce? What businesses have they brought about, founded? It's amazing, amazing. Idols. You eat meat with blood, you lift up your eyes to idols, you shed blood. What, what is he talking about there, you shed blood? Child sacrifice. Child sacrifice. Murder. Violence. You shed blood. Should you possess the land? Should you inherit this land? You rely on your sword. What does that mean? Their, their power, their strength. Oh, boy. I, I, don't, I don't know how many of you uh, have been paying attention to how weak our military has become and, and how we have completely exhausted our munition supply, trying to fight Russia through Ukraine and allowing the death of, of half a million, at least, Ukrainians in the process. We don't care. Oh, 
Sunday night, we'll talk about the fact there's no mention. There, there might be one little hint of the United States in Bible prophecy. But I do know very specifically that implicitly the Bible teaches the worst is just to come for Israel, isn't it? And the worst that Israel's going to suffer will be pale in comparison to what I think we're going to suffer, the United States of America, the Babylon, the horror of Babylon. Yes, you rely upon your sword, your strength, your military. You commit abominations, and you defile one another's wives. Should you possess the land? Talking about an adulterer. Listen, listen. If, if you have an adulterous heart and you want to fornicate or commit adultery with another human being, it's only because, and the only reason why you can do that in the horizontal is because where did that adulterous heart begin? In the vertical relationship. You haven't been faithful to God. And if a person is not faithful to God, they're certainly not going to be faithful to you. And you can be certain. I, I worked for a manager in General Electric, and he was, he, was, he was an okay guy, but, you know, he was having an affair with a woman at work, and, 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 and he was a married man. And one day he said to me as we're having a conversation, he said, you don't trust me, do you? I said, well, I don't know that I should because your wife can't. Ouch. <laughs> you know. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. I mean, if your wife can't trust you, if your husband can't trust you, I mean, you know, why, why should I trust you? Right? And, and listen, the only way you can display fidelity in this relationship is if you're being faithful in this relationship. You understand? So important. And should you possess the land? Verse 27, say thus to them, Thus says the Lord God, as I live, surely those who are in the ruins shall fall by the sword, and the one who is in the open field will be given to the beast to be devoured, and those who are in the strongholds and in the caves will die of pestilence. For I will make the land most desolate. Her arrogant strength shall cease, and the mountains of Israel shall be so desolate that no one will pass through. Then they shall know what? And I am the Lord. When they have made the land most desolate because of all their abominations which they have committed. Now they, they listen. I'm not. Where I'm not as bad as those people, right? That's what, that's what they're going to try to say now. Now, now, now listen. Now he's, he's going to talk to the captives who are in Babylon, who just love listening to Ezekiel. Oh, boy, hey, come with it, come on, come on. You, there's a service tonight, and he's going to talk about Bible prophecy, and he's going to, come on, come on, come on. It's so exciting. But they're hearers only, not... When I first got excited about Bible prophecy, it was because I read a book called The Late Great Planet Earth. Anybody ever read that book? Now, it's not a book, is it? What was it? No, 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 a, no I mean, I'm sorry, it, it is a book. But it's, it's really a commentary on the book of the Revelation. That's what I meant. The late great planet Earth was a commentary on the book of the Revelation written by... Hal yeah, Lindsey. I got so excited reading this book. I said, wow, this is great, you know? And, and it was even... Hal, Hal Lindsey was going to be in the area. Up in, I had to go listen to Hal. And then I found out something. What did I find out? He was married and divorced multiple times. I mean, I think like eight or nine times. Wait a minute. There's a problem with that, isn't there? 
Now, now what, what, what he said may be true with regard to his commentary on the Revelation, but I can't follow a man with that kind of a heart. You know, I, at one time I had all of Ravi Zacharias's tapes, little tapes. You know what they are, do you? Yeah. Those are cassette tapes. And, and I used to listen to him all the time. I, I thought, he, what a great apologist. And, you know, now, everything that Ravi said, was it true? What he, what he shared openly, publicly, as an apologist? Yeah. But what was the problem? There's an adulterous heart. There's an adulterous heart. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. That's the church in America. Well, what they have to say may be right. They just don't live to it. And their hearts are adulterous. This is precisely the problem with Israel of old. It's precisely the problem with the church in the United States today. Not, not the body of Christ. You know I make a difference. Not the body. We're talking about Christian. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, Nick. Yeah. Your hearts are draw far from me. Look at verse 30 now. As for you, son of man, children of your people are talking about you besides the walls and in the doors of their houses, and they speak to one another, everyone saying to his neighbor, please come, hear what the word of the Lord is saying. And hear what the, what the word is that comes from the Lord. And so they came to sit as people do. They sit before you as my people, and they hear your words, but they do not do them. For their mouth they show much love, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Huh. Lust, greed, selfishness, desire. Oh, but hey, hey, let's go listen. Hey, this is going to be a great service. Wasn't that a great service? Wasn't that a great message? And then you go out and you become, you're, 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 there's no change. You're the same person that walked in the door as the person who walked out the door. Here's only. Right? This is what he's saying. Now, is that, am I lying or is that true? Everybody wants the concert. And everybody wants the cotton candy. Because it feels so good. But where's the changed life? I remember when we, when we first uh, started meeting, you know, we were on that little uh, auto parts store <laughs> in East North Street, and this couple comes walking in from the parking lot, and I said, oh, Lord, Lord, can't you give me some normal people? You know, I mean, they came in, and they looked like, you know, they, uh, they had been practicing in the occult. You know, a long black leather jacket. He's a big man. I don't, you probably don't know what I'm talking about. And, 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 and they were there for a little while. And then some changes really started to take place in their life. And, and then they started to go to another church from another area, and, and, and she wrote me and she said, but Pastor Ray, you don't understand. I never thought church could be so much fun. The pastor was more of a comedian. You know, someone called me up once and said, are you as funny as Bob Coy? I said, I'm not funny at all. You know, I hope not. You know, Bob Coy was, uh, it was Calvary Comedy Hour down there in Fort Lauderdale, and while he's Fornicating, an adulterer, terrible. But anyway, so this gal calls me up and she says, Pastor Rich, you know, I never thought church could be so much fun. Just, just, just pray for me and, and so-and-so and the boys. And, and, you know. and then just three months later, she called me up. She said her husband is coming to church now with his girlfriend. And his girlfriend and he sit in church while she and the boys are in church and the pastor won't do anything about it. And I said, and how much fun is it now? 
I did. I, I'm sorry. You know, get real. Now, after I said that, I said, now listen, now listen, I'm going to pray with you, but you just need to draw close to Jesus. Folks, listen to me. I don't care what anybody else does to you. I don't care what happens in this world. You draw close to Jesus. You're going to be okay. You won't have anything to worry about. Do you understand? Don't put your trust, don't put your reliance in anything else. Nothing else is sufficient other than him and his word. Yes, but their hearts pursue their own gain. Look at verse 32. Indeed, they are to them as a very lovely song. Everyone has a pleasant voice and can play well on an instrument. Yes, we have Hillsong music. We have Elevation music. We have Bethel music. Isn't this wonderful? Huh? What's wrong with Hillsong, Bethel, and Elevation music? The heretical teaching behind it all. We complain about the Hamas leaders that are worth billions. Do you, do you know what T.G. Jakes is worth? Joyce Meyer? Stephen Furtick? You know, it's unbelievable. These, enjoy it. Enjoy it while you have it. Because you ain't going to be enjoying it where you're going. You know, they so misrepresent them. No, oh, but the music is, is so lovely. Oh, this song moves me. Music will move you but it won't transform your life. How many people build their doctrines on music, on songs? Should you find your theology and your doctrine from a song? No, I hope not. No, you, you, might, you might have a song confirm what you're believing. You know, I remember you were doing the third day song, King of Glory, and, and Dirk was singing that. You know, he did a great job with that song, didn't he? Yeah, well, there's a guy, there's a brother that went in the wrong direction. But, but anyway... <laughs> Um, I got, somebody lent me the tape, the third day tape. And I hadn't heard the song before. But I just happened to study through the Shepherd Psalms. You know the Shepherd Psalms? 22, 23, 24. We're going to talk about the Good Shepherd next week. But, but those are the Shepherd Psalms. You need to know the Shepherd Psalms. 22, 23, 24. The Shepherd is 22, is the Shepherd and his cross. 23 is the Shepherd and his crook. His crook, Shepherd's crook. And 24 is the shepherd and his crown. Who is this? Malek Who is this king of glory? You ever hear that song, King of Glory? Yeah. Well, I'd never heard the song before, but I just, I just got through that morning going through that entire psalm, Psalm 24, and I was just exploding with meaning for me, this king of glory. And then I get in my car and I start to go up to Hendersonville for a board meeting at a church up there, and that song comes on the air, and I got to pull over because I'm just overwhelmed by emotion, by joy. But because of my reasoning, the song just affirmed what I knew to be true. That's, that should take place, right? But how many people base their doctrine, base what they believe, base their theology on a song? Pray for my sister-in-law, Gail's sister, who she loves so dearly. Pray that she'll come out of that, that nonsense. She's, she's a, a fertic follower. You know, Mary is her name. Pray for Mary. You know, Gail's sister Mary. Get her out of that. God, please open her eyes. God, please expose this man for who he is. You know. But this is what he's saying here. Indeed, you, you, <laughs> indeed you are to them as a lovely, very lovely song, as one who plays a pleasant instrument and can play well on an instrument, for they hear your words, but they do not 
do them. And when this comes to pass, surely it will come. Then they will know that a prophet has been among them. When what comes to pass? The judgment that's coming on them all. It's, it's so common today, especially among the, 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 not all, not all, but the majority of megachurches, they're so superficial. They're a mile wide and a millimeter deep. How much is a millimeter? How, how much is it? Yeah. It's, it's like, is that a hundredth or a thousandth of an inch, a millimeter? A millimeter is a thousandth of an inch? Huh? Of a meter, of a meter, one thousandth of a meter. It's mile wide, a mile wide, a millimeter deep. Is that not true? Has that been your experience? It's been my experience. Just, just as what he said. Go with me to James chapter one. We'll end there. James chapter one. Because James gives us the same warning. James would be compared to what book in the Old Testament? Proverbs, Proverbs. It's, it's the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's got all these little pithy sayings, you know, these little nuggets of truth. Wisdom. Let's see, where do I want to go? James chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 12. Blesses the man who endures temptation. What should you do when those birds are flying around your head? Huh? What should you do? Keep shooting them away. Keep shooting them away. Okay? Don't get tired. Don't get Don't get lazy. Don't grow weary doing good. In good season, you'll reap your reward. But if they nest in your hair, you got a problem. That's what he's talking about, okay? Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. How do we prove our love for God? By obeying him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot tempt be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own, his desires, his lust. He's enticed. Now listen to me. Always, 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 if you allow your lust, if you allow that, that, that appetite to be ignited, it will trump your reason, your logic every time. You can't allow that. You've got you to be controlled by your thinking. You know, one of the things I want to emphasize on Sunday nights is, is far, too, far, far too many people are controlled by their emotion today, not by their reason. Be careful. Our emotions and our hearts can lead us in the wrong direction. You've got to believe. Know the truth. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. And when desire was conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift, every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation of turning, shadow of turning. He doesn't mutate, he doesn't change. Same today, tomorrow, and ever, forever. Of his own will, of his own, of his own will, of his own will. Let me emphasize that. Of his own will, he what? brought us forth by the word of truth. Thank you, Jesus. That we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. So then, my beloved brethren, it's let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. How do I do that? How do I lay that aside? 
Turn to God. I, I can't do it. Hey, we talk about peace, right? We have three forms of peace. Peace with God, right? We have peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. He has reconciled us to the Father. I have peace with God. And then they have the peace of God. Now, you know how most people explain the peace of God? You know how I would like to explain the peace of God? God loves me. God saved me. God made me his own. God has more positive thoughts towards me, like about 10 per second, if I were to live to be 100 years old, right? More good thoughts towards me than the sands, uh, grains of sand along the seashore. Isn't that what it says? And, 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 and again, the peace of God, well, you're so enamored that God loves you. But then you want to go, and you want to mature, and you want to grow in your understanding, and then you want to have the peace in God. And what is that? That I love God. And of course, it's not so much that God loves me. I, in turn, want to love and surrender my life to him. I want to be so faithful to him. But how many people live life to see how much they can get away with and still be okay? Oh, God loves me. Oh, isn't that a sweet, beautiful song? Yet they really don't know the peace in God, where God is living his life through us, you know, in obedience. And then James goes on to say, but be what? Doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Who do you face in the mirror every day? And who are you? I'm my biggest enemy. You can't force me to do. You'll, you'll never be able to force me to betray God. I can force myself. My heart can betray God. You won't be able to get me to do that. Right? Isn't that true? Nobody in this room can get you to betray God but you. You. But no one in this room can offer that sacrifice to God that God is looking for as a priest to the Lord. What is that? Your life. Your life. Do you understand that? These are the deep things in our relationship to God where we're really all in. He observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own, hmm, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure, undefiled religion before God and Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their time of trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Oh, Lord. How many times have I told you I am so thankful for God's saving grace in my life? But I have to tell you, I stand here now for after 43 years that there's only reason, one, re one reason I still stand here faithful after 43 years, and that's his keeping grace. I lean upon his keeping grace every day. When I look in the mirror to comb my hair, to shave my face, I'm looking at my enemy. I'm looking at a traitor. Do you understand that? Do you really know your own heart? 
And so every, every day I have to offer myself to God as a living sacrifice. Lord, help me. Help me, Lord. Because, if, Lord, if you don't help me to stand, I will fall. But I am confident, Lord, that you will help me to stand. Yeah. And stand I will. Amen? Amen. You see, share your sufficiency and your complete dependency on Christ with everyone you know. And listen, warn, warn that wicked man, warn that wicked woman, warn them. If their life is characterized by being in rebellion to God, by in, you, you have to say something. You have to. It's not love to let them go to hell without you giving a word of warning, without you taking a desperate step. What happened in Numbers chapter 11? Was it chapter 11? Let me look. You got another minute? Anybody got to go? No, it's chapter 12. Chapter 12. Moses loses his wife and he remarries. And what happened? Who did he remarry? A Kushite. A Kushite. And Kush means? Black. black. A beautiful black woman. Right? Beauty is skin deep. Ugly goes right to the bone. <laughs> no, no, no. type, right? Who had a problem with him marrying a Cushite? Oh, Miriam and Aaron did. Yeah. Well, it was, principally it was Miriam because she was spoken of first and, and it's spoken in the feminine form. So we know she was the chief instigator. And we know from the result of it, the way God punished her, right? She was. And, and what did God have to do? I'm sorry? He gave her leprosy and cast her outside the camp. How many people are really willing to shun their family over gross rebellion against God? And if you are, God bless you. God bless you. you, know. you, you those, everyone closest to you needs to know it's God first. And if you, if you force me to make a choice, look at the choices that, 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 that the craziness of today is forcing on parents and grandparents. My, my son has always known, son, you, make, you force me to make a choice between God and you, you lose. Don't, don't make me cross that line. As much as I love you, I'll break off my relationship with you. Why? Because I, listen, Moses was willing to risk the loss of relationship with Miriam and Aaron so they could be saved. Cast her out of the camp. And Moses didn't argue. He didn't debate. He cast her out of the camp. He separated her from the life of Israel. And what happened as a result of that? She repented and she got saved. Paul, talking to the church at Corinth, which allowed everybody to do anything they want. Well, we're so, listen, this is so grace-centered. You can live any way you want and still know that God accepts you. God loves you. That was the, that was the church at Corinth. That's the church of today. And so there's a man sleeping with his father's wife. Now, we don't know if it was his mother. Hopefully it wasn't his biological mother. It was his stepmother. And what did Paul tell him to do? Deliver this one to Satan so the flesh may be destroyed so that in the day of the Lord the spirit might be saved. Second Corinthians, what happened? The man repented. He made confession. He repented. And Paul's encouraging the church to welcome him back now. 
He's that wicked man who turned from his wickedness, and I have forgiven all of his sin. What would have happened if Paul didn't do that? How many people are comfortable in their sin? They're going to hell, and we're making them comfortable. We don't want to offend them. We don't want to be an obstacle to their comfort and their sinful lifestyle. What in the hell is wrong with you? Is that not common today? Tell me that I'm wrong. People fear their family, their children, their grandchildren, more than they fear the Lord. And you, they, they will be judged for any sinful lifestyle that they continue separated from God, rebellion to God forever. And you will have a regret. Hopefully not in eternity. But when you go before the bema seat of Christ, Oh, there'll be weeping. There'll be regret. There'll be shame. Why am I talking to you like that? That's not you. It's the other people. Right? It's those people on the internet. All right, Gail, we're done. I'm coming home. Shall we stand? Thank you for listening to this message from Community Chapel of Greenville. For more information and to find more messages like this, please visit to www.ccgreenville.org. It is our desire to see our Lord high and lifted up, and to see His people grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ.